You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Thank you, good morning. It's a beautiful day. It's beautiful. It's so nice. Yes. Winter is over. We had... We had our three weeks. That's, that's enough. Let's move on. Let's start planting, getting our gardens ready. That's what I'm thinking about. Yay, that's right. <laughs> I started growing marigolds inside uh, this week, and they're starting to grow. So, yeah, look at that, eh? I hope you notice that I'm wearing the same clothes that I did in the, uh, the video. Because I only have... So many tops, so, yeah. Well, this morning, this morning we are going to talk about anger. Who said that? You gave it away, man. Yeah. Anger. We're going to be talking about anger. And uh, I was so hard-pressed to find examples or illustrations in our world or online. It's just, just, just not a lot of anger out there, it seems, yeah. Now, this is an important issue, as you can imagine, and I think it connects to our call to discipleship, our call to follow Jesus. And so what I want to do today is I want to explore this topic. And there's many places we can look, uh, but I thought we'd look in the book of Ephesians, uh, because I think Ephesians has something interesting to say about this whole question of anger. Now, if you know the book of Ephesians, it's, it's a letter that a guy, Paul, wrote to a church called Ephesus, in a place called Ephesus, and that's why it's called the book of Ephesians. And just to kind of set the table, because I, I want to focus on this passage, but I want to give you some context. The, the book of Ephesians is structured quite simply. Um, the first part of the book of Ephesians basically lays out one our human condition, the kind of mess that we're in. And I I preach on this uh, around Christmas time, but one of the things that it says in Ephesians is that in our natural state, every human being is is in a bit of a dilemma. One, we are... um, (laughs) The Bible, Ephesians says that we are... We are objects of wrath. Because of our sin, we are completely separated from God. And we are enslaved to our sins. We find ourselves doing things over and over again that we know we shouldn't do. And we don't do things that we know we ought to do. And then Scripture says, as a result, we are condemned. We are are separated from God. And it's pretty bleak. It's a pretty bleak message until we come across the two of the most beautiful words in the human language. But God. Right? And it says, but God, because of his great mercy and his great love with which he loves us, he made us alive together in Jesus. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we go from being separated from God, being condemned, being enslaved to sin, to being alive, being adopted into God's family. So we can call the living God of the universe Father. And we are an adopted daughter, adopted son. Incredible news. And so Paul says, you know, this is such good news. We need to spend time 
plumbing the depths of this. Look at the depths, the width, the height, the length of the love of Jesus. That's the Christian life. And then the last part of Ephesians says, okay, if this is who we are, if this is what Jesus has done for us, how do we live this out? And that's where you get to Ephesians chapter 4. And um, in chapter 4, Paul says, look, he, and he warns the Ephesians. He says, look, you've been set free. Don't go back to your old way of living. It may be tempting, but don't go back. Instead, throw off your old self and put on your new self. And walk as the new people that we are meant to be. So what does that look like? Well, that's what Ephesians 4 is all about. And he says, this new life that we've been invited into is a life where we, where we um, speak differently to one another. And we also act differently. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read uh, from verse 25 onwards. Okay. Uh, in honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. Verse, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Jesus, we need your help in this. We pray that you would speak into our hearts tonight, today, this morning. Speak into our hearts. We pray that we would hear from you. And that you grant us courage to respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul says this new life that we've been invited into, it's a new life where we need to speak differently to one another. We need to be truthful. Right? We don't bend the truth. We don't curb the truth. We speak the truth in love. But it's also a new life where we need to act differently towards one another, especially when it comes to anger. And so he talks about anger. So before we dive in, let me ask you a personal question. How many of you struggle with anger? <laughs> I see one hand. Some of you, it's not a struggle at all. I'm angry all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's not a struggle. How many of you f maybe find yourself more angry since, I don't know, 2020? <laughs> Anyone? Okay, I see a few hands. No, okay, well, good. Yeah, I would put up my hand for sure. See, there's no shortage of anger in Ottawa and in the world. Uh, just say two words. Vaccine mandate. And everyone's back gets up on one side or the other. We look at the comments section on a social media site. And it's just full of hatred. We see it in the way we drive. We see it in the way we speak to one another and about one another. We see it in public demonstrations. We see it in university campuses, in our homes. And we see it even between family members. There's a lot of anger in the world today. So the question I want to look at is this. Is it bad to be angry? 
Should anger always be avoided? Are there times when anger is okay? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. And if so, when, when are those times? And what does Scripture have to say? Now, what does Scripture have to say is actually a harder question than it seems. Because, I mean, just look at our passage. Paul says, be angry. And in the same breath, he says, but do not sin. <laughs> and do not sin. Um, so it seems to suggest that anger is okay, even proper, but there's something about anger that makes it very easy to sin. And then, we never even looked at this, but if you go down a few verses, in verse 31, it gets a little confusing because Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So what is this saying about anger? We're to put away anger, and yet we are to be angry. But we're not to be angry in a way that we sin, and so don't let the sun go down on your anger, because the devil will get a foothold. Okay, it's, not, it's not that clear. So back to our question, is it bad to be angry? Or is it sometimes proper and right? Well, let's begin with Paul's teaching. He says, be angry, be angry. So right from the get-go, we are taught that we can be angry, that it's okay to be angry. You look at the life of Jesus, and you see anger at times in Jesus' life. I like this one guy, this guy named uh, Garrett uh, Kaiser. He said this about Jesus. He says, I am unable to commit to any Messiah who doesn't knock over tables. I'm unable to commit to any Messiah who doesn't knock over tables, as Jesus has, did in his life. And we see Jesus getting angry at different times. There's one time he's in a synagogue, and he says, and there's a guy with a withered hand, and he asks everybody, he asks the leaders of the church, is it okay, even on the Sabbath, to do something good, like heal this person? Nobody says anything. And he's like, come on. Of course it's okay. Like, see, so he gets angry. And we read throughout the Bible that on many occasions, God is angry. We, the Bible tells us that God um, burns with anger against sin. His prophets reveal God's anger in their pronouncements of justice, uh, judgment against the nations, including Israel. And, and we even know, like there's a guy named uh, Jonathan Edwards. He's probably America's best philosopher and theologian. And... Uh, he writes this famous or infamous sermon. Does anybody know what the sermon's called? Mike? What's it called? Yeah, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yikes, yeah. And so, anger is not always wrong. Anger, um, a 13th century theologian, a guy named Thomas Aquinas, says anger can energize us. Anger can align our hearts with God and direct our efforts against injustice. You think about people who commit horrendous crimes and seemingly get away with it. When we hear about these things, our hearts burn and say, this should not be. Right? So that's right anger. It's righteous anger. When we see injustice and we say, this is not how things are supposed to be. Something needs to happen to make things right. That's righteous anger. 
And so when Paul says, be angry, we can see what he's getting at. When we hear about child abuse, terrorism, tyranny, we ought to feel angry. And here's the thing. I would say one of the applications in this message today, maybe for some of you, that the issue that you're struggling with is not anger, but apathy. And I think apathy is a big deal in our culture. Because we're like, these problems are so big, this is so, everybody's mad, I'm done. I'm just going to retreat into the metaverse and just hide in here and play my video games and, and, and just have nothing to do with the world because it's just crazy. And I think the sense of apathy is quite strong and maybe a bit of righteous anger would not be a bad thing. But then Paul says, be angry and do not sin. So why does he immediately offer this warning? Well, I think he knows that there's nothing easier to do than sin when you're angry. In fact, Scripture has a lot to say about this. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Proverbs has a lot to say. He says, uh, in Proverbs it says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. A man of evil devices is hated. In chapter, chapter 22, we read these words. It says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. In chapter 29, verse 11, in Proverbs, it says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And then in verse 22, it says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. And then you have Paul's words saying, Put away anger. So, how does anger cause us to sin? Well, for starters, it can affect our prayer life. There's a guy named uh, Evagrius of Pontus, a desert monk. He says, Everything you do, to avenge yourself against a brother who has wronged you will become a stumbling block at a time of prayer. Being angry at, at somebody actually affects your prayer life. John Cassian, another desert monk, he says, the emotion of wrath blinds the eye of the soul and prevents us from seeing the son of righteousness. Evagrius, again, he says, anger, when wrongly expressed, gives, the, gives an evil sword to demons. And even a more modern um, philosopher, a guy named Dallas Willard, says, there's nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done better without it. So, <laughs> where does that leave us? Where does that, well, it leaves us with questions. And so here's the question I want to look at. What is the difference between good anger and bad anger? What is the difference between anger rightly directed and anger wrongly directed? The kind of anger that gives the devil a foothold. Well, thankfully, in church history, a lot of ink has been spilled on this question. <laughs> and so let's talk about this. What's, what's the difference? Well, Right anger is anger rightly directed. Wrong anger is anger distorted. And so what's the difference? Well, again, 
Right anger is focused on the injustice that's taking place. It names the sin, names the evil, and anger is our right response to sin and injustice in the world. It echoes God's hatred of what is evil and love for what is good. Wrong anger targets the wrong object. Wrong anger usually goes after the person. Those rotten, racist, misogynistic, unvaccinated, or those smug, self-righteous, triple-vaxxed, doesn't matter, but you go after the person. But it gets tough, though. Because sometimes wrong anger does go after an injustice, not after a person. Sometimes it, it goes, it's targeted at an injustice, but the, here's the difference. Usually we target the injustice against ourselves. And so sometimes we get angry when we feel that we are not being treated as importantly as we think we ought to be treated. So now there is a dangerous question, and I challenge you. <laughs> Whenever you get angry, ask yourself this question. Am I angry because I'm not being treated as importantly as I think I ought to be treated? It is the most awkward question to ask. I came across this question about 15 years ago, and I was like, oh, yeah, that is what's going on. <laughs> Rebecca DeYoung is uh, a philosopher at a Calvin College. She writes that anger becomes wrong anger when there's a violation of four things. So wrong anger occurs when there's a violation of four things. What's the first thing? The first thing is my agenda. And she tells a funny story. She talks about, uh, she lives in Michigan. I think that's where Calvin College is. And um, she and her family, because uh, Michigan can be quite cold, they were wanting to go on vacation. They wanted to go somewhere down south where it's warm. And so kind of they did an impromptu road trip. Let's go. Let's go to somewhere warm. Let's get out of Michigan, head down south. And so they hopped in the car, threw all their luggage in the car, and took off, and they're traveling down south, and they're like, woohoo, we're going to go somewhere warm. And then, bam, traffic jam. Just an incredible, she, they were stuck on the highway for hours. And unbeknownst to them, it was the NCAA championship, and I guess all the games were in that particular area, and so it was gridlocked. And she's like, oh, I can't believe this. We just want to go somewhere warm. She goes, get off the highway. Let's take the back roads. And so they take the back roads, and they start making good time. She's like, all right, all right, this is good. We're going somewhere south. It's going to get warm. And then, bam, traffic jam. And she's like, what? Why? Why is there a traffic jam on this back road? And they were stuck. And so she's asking people in front, what is going on? What is happening? And they said, okay, somebody's walking down the middle of the road. And it's making it hard for cars to go by. And she goes, what crazy fool would be walking down the middle of the road? I mean, who does that? And then over time, the cars started moving a little bit, and she finally came across the crazy fool walking down the middle road, and she had forgotten. She had forgotten in her desire to get down south that she'd forgotten that it was Good Friday. And the man walking down the middle road was a pastor, and he's carrying a cross, and his congregation was following him as they were heading to church. And her son, her son yells out, Wow, Mom, 
you just called Jesus a crazy fool and told him to get out of our way. <laughs> but isn't that true? Like when we have our agenda, this is my plan, and it gets messed up, we get angry. The second is a violation of our control. When there's interference with what I want to happen. Now, don't point at them, don't look at them, but let me ask you this question. How many of you know someone who's only happy when things are in control? Don't look at them. Don't. Do you know anyone like that? Now, I worked. I used to work retail. And, uh, you know, retail is pretty, pretty chaotic. And I had a colleague, and she was only happy when everything was under control. And sometimes I'd walk into the office and I'd look at her and she was like crying and shaking. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to back out of here. Because whenever anything went out of control, she just came undone. She gets so angry. And sometimes we're like that. We want control and when it doesn't work out, we get angry. Third thing is a violation of our dignity. When someone says something to you that's offensive or contemptuous and you're like, how dare you speak to me that way? And the last one is our expectations. Maybe disappointed by our own mistakes or disappointed by the mistakes of others. And so these are things you need to pay attention to. Is my anger about an injustice out there or is it really about me? Also, pay attention to how anger shows up in your life. Do you find yourself getting angry very quickly? Are you a person that's always on edge? No, I understand that. I remember when I was living and working in Shanghai, I was always, always angry. Always angry. Over nothing. But I was always angry. Ask yourself, am I getting more angry over this thing than I need to be? Honestly, the guy just cut in front of you. I get it. He didn't signal. But why are you so angry? I did that once. I cut in front of a guy. And I didn't signal. But it was like the lane was going down to one. That's where I had to go, right? So it wasn't my fault. Uh, <laughs> he was so mad. It was a truck. He was so mad that it was by, you know, on Shaughnessy where you go underneath the thing. And there was a stoplight, and I stopped. He gets out of his truck, smashes my window, punches my window. He was so angry. He followed me. And I got out of the car. Don, I was going to meet you for breakfast. <laughs> and I got out of the car. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to get into a fight before I meet my mentor for breakfast. <laughs> but it was just, it was, he was so angry. Ask yourself, am I staying angry too long? Am I holding a grudge? Now, here's the thing. There's nothing more tasty than holding a grudge. There's nothing more pleasurable than holding something over someone. I love Fr Frederick Beekner. Look what he says in this. This is a great line. You can put that quote up. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. 
In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Wow. I remember the movie, uh, in the movie The Mission, which was a great movie from the 80s. Um, the, one of the characters was a slave trader. Robert De Niro played him. He plays Rodrigo, and he's just consumed with anger. Comes back after capturing slaves and selling them into slavery. Comes back, and he finds his brother with his lover, and, and, and he kills his brother on the street, I remember. And he's just consumed with anger, consumed, and he cannot get free until he experiences the cross. Quite a powerful film. Okay, so where do we go with all this this morning? Well, I think a few things. One, you and I need to learn to become slow to anger. Because if we are looking at Scripture and we are looking at God, we read about God's anger, but you're going to notice something important. Yes, God demonstrates his righteous anger, but how is God's character described? The Lord is merciful and gracious Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So if we want to model our anger after God's, then it means we should be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So we're to be slow to anger. Secondly, we need to find the roots to our anger. And that requires some painful digging. And, and this is where for guys... I'm going to just speak to the men for a second. We struggle with this because if you ask a guy why they're angry, why are you angry? They're like, well, I'm frustrated. <laughs> why are you frustrated? Well, because I'm angry. <laughs> we need to do a little more digging. Now, the problem with guys is that, one, we seldom know what's going on inside of us, let alone know how to express it. But why are you frustrated? Now, think about it for everyone here. Why are you frustrated? What lies at the root of your anger? I think what often lies at the root of our anger is who's in charge. Am I in charge or do I trust God? And do I really trust that he is good? I think wrongful expressions of anger is usually connected to pride. When we try to play God in our lives, it doesn't work very well. And so, finally, we need to learn how to deal with our anger. If you struggle with anger, how do you deal with it? Well, I think you need to explore what triggers your anger. Now, I could be wrong, but I would suggest that what lies behind our anger is sadness. And I think a lot of people are angry since 2020 because we're sad and we're disappointed that things have not worked out the way we hoped. We had weddings planned. We had, you know, somebody close to us died and we couldn't have a funeral. There's all these hopes and dreams that we had that were all taken away. And I think behind a lot of our anger is, is a real sense of sadness and disappointment. So ask yourself, why am I so angry? Second thing, I think we need to take care of our body and our soul. I think a lot of our anger stems from where we, 
spend most of our time. Honestly, if you spend your day with Fox News or CNN or CBC blasting 24-7, if you're always going to these news sites and what's the latest on the truckers, what's the latest on the trackers, what's the latest on the... If you're constantly doing this, if you're constantly sharing a video and reading this video and commenting on this video and arguing with somebody on Facebook, you're going to be angry all the time. You will. And there's so much anger. You can get twitchy. And so you need to give your bodies what they need, what it needs. And often that means getting outside and getting off your device. Now, I grew up with an introvert mom, and she had four kids. And so it didn't matter if it was lightning outside or whatever. She go, everywhere, out of the house and don't come in till tonight. And so, like, it didn't matter what it was. It could be a tornado. I don't care. Out of the house. Out. And so that's how I grew up, just spending time outside. And I'll tell you, when I'm getting twitchy and I'm getting anxious and I'm, like, looking at, you know, the hospitalizations and ICU beds, and I, I just need to get out. And embrace spiritual rhythms. Be quiet when you want to rage. And the last one I think is important and is disappearing quickly is we need to maintain, maintain a sense of humor. We take ourselves so seriously. I love George MacDonald. He has this one great line. He's a 19th century fantasy writer. He says, um, we have grown old. And our Heavenly Father is younger than we. <laughs> and it's, and honestly, we are more serious than God. And everybody's offended. Everybody's angry. Everyone's triggered. Everyone's whatever. And in the Christian life, there's a lightness to how we live our life. There ought to be a lightness. Because at the end of the day, we know, we know that all shall be well. Because of the cross, we know that all shall be well. And the God is still sovereign. He's not looking at these mandates going, oh, I never saw this coming. He knows what's going on. And so I think we need to learn how to laugh at ourselves a little bit. I think there's way too much octane in our world today. Everyone and everything is taken so seriously. People are so easily offended. And we're angry all the time. And it's killing us. It's killing us. And this is where Ephesians 3 is so important. When, when, when Paul invites us to, you know, plumb the heights and the depths and the width and the length of the love of Jesus, he uses an interesting phrase. He says, you and I need to be rooted and grounded in what? In truth. Oh, we need to be people of truth. But what does Paul say? We need to be rooted and grounded in, in love. Now, this is not love that we conjure up. Rooted and grounded in love means we need to be rooted and grounded in the reality that the one who really matters loves us. Loves us so much that he died for us. And he sets us free. And when we are rooted in what God has done for us, our hearts are thankful. And here's a challenge. Try to be angry when you're thankful. Remember Pastor Mark talking about this? It's really hard to be angry when you're thankful. You can't. And if you're rooted and grounded in love, you're not going to be angry. And I think that's the way forward. And I think, 
I think this is something as a church we really need to model. Oh my, we need to model. We're so angry all the time. And I include myself in that. I get sucked into this as well. But we need to fight against it. All right, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we are the people of God, not because of anything we bring to the table, but because of your amazing grace that saved wretches like ourselves. Uh, we once were blind, but now we can see. Once we were lost, but now we're found. And so we're thankful for this. It's, being, it's grace from beginning to end, and grace will lead us home. And so help us to live deeply within this truth. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.